This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It is up to us to know the wisdom within us, for this is something no one else can teach us. We must be our own guiding light. There is no competition with another. Any thoughts of competition come from the false self, and this belief lives in the place that holds the belief that you are not enough. If you are the belief that you are not enough, then you look at others and believe they are more than you, doing it better than you more gifted and more talented. This leads to competition with them, but that competition is one in which you are against yourself. You see, there is nothing and no one better than you, and that is because there is only one you. One you with the very unique and special gifts that you came here to share. Be in abundance. There is more than enough for everyone. Everyone has the potential to tap into the abundance. When you do not feel worthy, you will fill your internal holes with external fillers, and doing so dulls your light. Some do this through the use of alcohol, drugs, food, TV, or social media. And in doing so, they become numb to their own truth. There is a false belief that touching your truth will be painful, and you hold this belief because you do not know the true self within. The true self lives inside your heart. This one is the truth of the who that you are. This one is protected from pain by limiting beliefs and therefore cannot easily be touched. All of your gifts wait for you to be ready to awaken, evolve, and become. Ready to begin to live, value, and cherish yourself. The true self inside of you is a beacon of light, much like a rudder designed to hold you steady in a storm. But you must step up and become the captain of your ship. It is up to you in the now to get back into the driver's seat of your life. To not be afraid of the pain. The pain of going through healing is not worse than the trauma you have already survived. Be the light that you are. Come on a journey of exploration and self-care, and let's find the hidden treasures that are you, that reside within you. Let's awaken to your true potential and calling, says Janet Philbin. In this episode, Valeria Tellis interviews Janet, the author of Show Up for Yourself, a guide to inner growth and awareness. Janet Philbin is a licensed clinical social worker with 29 years of experience. 
Janet is a certified conscious parenting coach certified by Dr. Shafali Sabari's Conscious Parenting Coaching Method Institute. Janet is a certified hypnotherapist, master on raw energy healer, certified intuitive counselor, and a hypnosynergistic practitioner. Janet is an author with her first book, Show Up for Yourself, due out April 14th, 2020. Janet's unique eclectic style combines her years of clinical counseling, parent coaching, hypnosis, spirituality, and energy work. Janet has a successful private practice providing psychotherapy and hypnotherapy. Her passion is helping people heal from the inside out. She is an expert in helping her clients uncover and heal the issues of the inner child which are influencing their adult life and parenting in the present. Janet received her B.S. in gerontology from Springfield College and her M.S.W. from New York University. Janet is also a proud mom to three children. Here is the interview with Janet Philbin. In your own words, who is Janet Philbin? Janet Philbin is someone who has truly grown into herself in the last 30 years. I am more than my profession, which is a clinical social worker and hypnotherapist and conscious parenting coach. I believe I'm someone who has shown up here to help people heal and grow because I have spent so much time helping myself heal and grow. And I actually believe that I am a soul having an experience in a physical body right now at this time and that I've come here for a purpose, for a reason to really be a helper and a facilitator of change in other people's lives. In the form-based world, I'm also a wife and a mother of three children. That's lovely. Thank you. I have a few warm-up questions before we talk about your book, Show Up for Yourself, A Guide to Inner Growth and Awareness. So my first warm-up question is, what is life to you? Life to me is something that is meant to be lived in a way that is true to your own self. You know, what works for me isn't going to work for the next person. The things that bring me joy may not bring another person joy and vice versa. So for me, life is here to be lived and to be experienced in a way that is in alignment with your own personal truth. And life is also here for us. So things are here for us to learn from as well and to grow from those things. What do you think is the opposite of life? Wow. What do I think is the opposite of life? I actually don't want to say death mm, right. because I don't actually believe that. I think the opposite of life is actually just being stagnant and still and not growing, even 
getting into victim mode right. um, in within your own self, you know, yeah. I think that's to me is really the opposite of life. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that answer. Um, what you. is the meaning of freedom to you? The meaning of freedom. Yeah. I think for me, the meaning of freedom means to be able to express yourself fully and completely in whatever way that expression would come, whether it's through verbal communication, whether it comes through your own creativity as an artist, a musician, a writer, a teacher, a parent, you know, how do you share your truth? Because when we share our truth, then I think we are really free because we're free from the constraints of what others might be imposing on us and holding ourselves back because of those constraints of others. Yeah. What another great answer. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. What is another word for healing? Another word for healing. Honestly, the word that comes to mind <laughs> is freedom. <laughs> yes. Because when we heal, uh, then we're allowing ourselves to be free. Yes. Right. Yeah. Do you believe that healing is a process or a destination? I believe that healing is a process. And I believe we are always healing. Right. Do you connect healing to spirituality? I think healing can be connected to spirituality. I don't think it has to be because not everybody is spiritual. However, for me personally, healing is connected to spirituality because I do not believe we do this work alone. I believe that there are things that we can't see, touch, hear, know. And I believe that when we ask for assistance to help us heal, assistance is given. How do you define spirituality? And do you think that spirituality is different from religion? Yes. I actually do believe spirituality is different from religion. Re religion is very form-based. It is a top-down approach. Each religious organization, no matter what it is, has someone in charge. There is a book that tells you the rules that gets interpreted by the people that run the religions at whatever time in history those religions are being run. And there are ways it has to be done in order for it to be considered, quote unquote, right. Spirituality, I believe, is very personal. And we each find our own way to be spiritual, whether we are connecting with the earth. And maybe that is someone's spirituality taking a walk in nature or someone else believes in guides or angels not connected necessarily to a religion, or someone else believes in energy that's all around every living thing, whether it's a human, an animal, a plant, or a tree. So spirituality can be anything from connecting to the stars, to believing in there is an abundance in the universe that is there for all of us, and allowing yourself to tap into it in whatever way resonates for you. Yeah, I love the way you define spirituality, this um, dynamic relationship with our own wisdom, our own inner knowing. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. At this time, 
what is the world's greatest need, in your opinion, and what is your vision for a new world? At this time, as we're having this conversation, we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. And so at this time, I believe that we all have to realize we are all one, that no matter where we are in the world, no matter who we are in the world, one person is no different than another. And my pain is your pain and your pain is my pain. And my joy is your joy and your joy is mine. And that we all now have to take one another into account in all decisions that we make. And that what we really need is so much compassion for the other person, so much understanding that we don't know another person's struggle. And we have to come to another person with a perspective of how can I help you? And in what way can I be of service? Because if we're someone with the resources to be of service, I think we're being called at this time to be of service. And also to recognize, even though there is tremendous pain right now, and there is tremendous pain with so much loss going on, um, on insurmountable loss, there's also abundance. And that we have to find those times, places, and opportunities of abundance and being gratitude for them, being gratitude for each little moment we have each and every day and not forget it when we move forward, when we come out of crisis. We can't only be this way when we're in crisis. We have to take the lessons learned in crisis and bring them forward to when we're not in crisis. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom there. I love the way you talk about connectivity and compassion. That brings me to my next question about love. What is your own definition of love? Well, when I speak about love, I speak about self-love. So I'm not talking about being in love with someone else. I'm more talking about finding a way to love yourself. And this is because when we can love ourselves enough to take good care of ourselves, then we can love ourselves enough to be there and, and take care of another. Mm, yeah. So really for me, the definition of, of love is a definition of self-love. And so when I talk about love, um, in relationship to healing, it's a sense of, self-acceptance, a sense of inner calm, an inner knowing that you are okay just as you are in this moment in time. So it's a really deep self-care and knowing that within you there is a place that you can trust yourself above all else. I love that too. <laughs> do you believe in unconditional self-love? I do believe in unconditional self-love, though I think that is very challenging for all of us, myself included, to own because we sit in such a place of self-judgment so much. So it is very hard to hold those two concepts at the same time. How can I unconditionally love myself? Yet, at the same time, I have all these negative thoughts about myself or judgments about what I've done, what I've said, you know, my actions, 
my feelings. So it's, it's really quite a, um, opposing view that we hold within us because I think ideally it would be lovely to be able to love ourselves unconditionally, but I think it's very hard to stay in that place of loving the self unconditionally because the thoughts come in. So we kind of always have to monitor the thoughts that are coming in and remember to love ourselves even with those thoughts. So when we can love ourselves with those judgments, thoughts, critical thinking, then we're really in a place of unconditional self-love. Yeah, it's it's a great idea to make it a practice, just unconditional self-love, right, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And my last warm-up question for you, what do you think is the purpose of life and what is the purpose of your life? Wow, that is a big question. <laughs> yeah. What is the purpose of life and what is the purpose of my life? The purpose of life, I think, is everyone to find themselves. You know, I think that we show up here on this earth perfect and then we all experience life and we sort of become who we are and we lose touch with our true authentic self. And so I think the purpose of life is to get back in touch with that true authentic self within each of us. And that's going to be different for every single person. So I don't, there's no right or wrong answer. And the purpose of life in general, I think for each of us is just to always be growing and evolving and awakening to who we are and find finding a way to be of service to others in whatever way we can contribute to make this world a better place while we're here. Yeah, yes. Yes, a thousand times. <laughs> and so let's talk about your work. What sure. was the inspiration and the intention of writing your book, Show Up for Yourself? The inspiration, I'll start with that, writing my book happened five years ago. And I do tell this story in the book, so I don't want to be redundant to your listeners, but I was away on a retreat. And at this retreat, I felt very drawn to meditate every day on my own, separate from what we were doing with the group. And one morning in meditation, I had a very transformational experience where I received a lot of information and that became the chapter in my book called The Spiral of Healing and the components of The Spiral of Healing, which include feel, heal, grow, and love. And I was blown away by this information that I received during meditation. And I didn't really know what I was going to do with it, but I did know that one day it would have to be a book. I knew that immediately. I just didn't know how or when. So I I just sort of sat with it. And every once in a while, I would do research. I would meditate more on the concepts. And I just began writing slowly and incorporating everything I've learned in my life as a professional and even personally to fit it all together. And my purpose and intention in finally getting the book out to the world is to help other people realize that they are the ones that have the power and ability to help themselves heal. And that healing is really possible for everyone. So my goal in the book was really just to be a catalyst and a helper to others for them to be able to help themselves through the concepts I share and teach in the book. 
Talk to me about your personal healing story as a woman mm. and as a parent. And I also would like to hear about your spiritual journey within. Mm. My personal healing really began when I was 22. And when I was 22, I was in graduate school. And in graduate school, in social work school, you have to take a course in child developmental psychology. So I went and took the course. I had no choice. And I did not like this course at all. At all. This course was waking me up, if I could use finger quotes and say waking me up. Every time I went into this course, we were touching on subjects that I found extremely uncomfortable and I was very resistant to. And I had to begin to pay attention to it. I was forced to. It was as if the universe, and I didn't speak in this language when I was 22, but I will now, as if the universe was poking me and saying, wake up, wake up, girl. It is time to deal with your stuff. You've packed a lot of pain away and have hidden it, but we can't let you hide anymore. So that was really the beginning of my awakening to my own need to heal my childhood trauma. So I did what anyone would have done back in 1990. I opened up the yellow pages and I looked up social workers and I found a social worker and began just very traditional talk therapy. And that was how I started as I continued on so in social work school and as I um, continued in my uh, career, as my career began and continued, I, would, I was doing a lot of talk therapy because that was the only thing I knew. So that was really how I began my, my healing journey. And I just sort of let life unfold for me. And I'm kind of the person who, when something shows up for me and I really wasn't expecting it, I don't turn away from it and say no. I look at it and say, okay, or I say yes, or say bring it to me yeah, right now, you know, and I, I assess it a little bit. And that's sort of what happened as I, I went along in my life. Every time there was a new opportunity, I took it. So I became the social worker on an AIDS team at an inner city hospital in New York City. And I was plunged into the world of working with death and dying. And I loved it. And I learned so much from my clients. And I learned from them that we have to heal our emotional injuries, even if we have a terminal illness, that we have no idea how long it will take. Because AIDS in 1993, it was in its infancy. So we didn't know how things were going to turn out for people. So we were forced to live. And in a way, my clients forced me to look even more deeply at my, my own personal stuff. And my journey just kept continuing. When my husband and I um, decided to have children, that did not happen easily at all. And we had to go through many, many rounds of fertility treatments over a course of four plus years before I finally conceived my oldest daughter. And that was another area where I had to find inner healing and, and trust and perseverance and learn to deal with a lot of my own grief and loss because infertility is a lot about grief and loss. It's mostly about grief and loss. And so I went down that road, which led me eventually to starting my private practice. And I began working with women and couples who were coping with infertility. 
And as I was doing that, I was realizing I was stuck with some of my clients. They would be very stuck. Talk therapy wasn't getting them anywhere. And a letter wound up coming to my mailbox at my office. And the mail was very sketchy at that office. But it was for a hypnosis training program, a 100-hour class. And I decided to take it. And that was really the jumping in point for me into spirituality, into believing and understanding energy and incorporating that into my life. And I've been a hypnotherapist now since 2002. So it's been quite some time. Wow. What a journey. I have, uh, it's been, I have, I have other questions for you here. But before that, you mentioned in your book that something interesting that your children, they have become your greatest teachers. So that's my question. How have your children become and continue to be your greatest teachers? Thank you. That's a great question. Um, I'm also a conscious parenting coach. And one of the things we learn as parents is that our children are going to show us all of our pain. It is like they are a mirror for us and they act out the things that cause us the most pain. And if we are ready to awaken and we are ready to embrace these lessons from our children, then we're giving ourselves opportunities to heal. And as we heal, our children are going to do better. So I used to be, as a young mother, my children are almost grown at this point, but as a young mother, I was very angry all of the time, all of the time. And that was right around the time I was taking my hypnosis training. And I couldn't understand the anger. And my um, middle child used to have really horrible tantrums. And I would essentially tantrum right back at him. And I knew that wasn't okay, but I didn't know what to do about it. And so that began my quest on healing this part of me that was really, really angry. And I did. It it took years. I'm not going to lie. It did because the pain was really deep and the trauma was really deep. I knew what it was, but I knew it had to be worked through in layers. And there, I don't yell anymore. And my kids now, at the ages that they are, they continue to teach me what I need to do in order to improve. Mm-hmm. They'll call me out if I'm nagging them. They'll, you know, and that that's a great teacher. You know, sure. they're going to call me out if I'm annoying them. Sometimes I try to be a little too silly thinking I'm being funny and I, I, it is not working. So you can either get offended by your children in those moments because they're not quote unquote respecting you or you pause, you stop and you look at it and you say, okay, I need to learn from this here. And so that's what I mean when I say my children are my greatest teachers. If you can step away from yourself and out of your ego and into an abundance mindset. So even if your children talk back to you in a way you may not like, they're talking back to you in that way because of something they're feeling. So it's never really about you. Wow. Yeah. That's such a great lesson to learn from others. <laughs> it might be wise to learn from other people's experience than going through challenges to learn certain lessons. I love the way you also wrote about the dark and the light. You say, are you brave enough to look, to own, to see, and to hear your darkness? You ask a question and then you say, because in the dark, you'll find your light. 
And that's what you also raised the question about being ready or not to explore your inner self and your traumas and trying to free mm -hmm. yourself from the past, basically. And talk to me a bit more about the concepts of conscious parenting and how they can be applied to our other relationships, any relationships, really. Mm. Well, because the first conscious relationship we need to have is with ourselves. And that is about tuning in to what is going on within you at all times. And now a lot of times, many of us, we walk around very unconscious and we just are reacting, 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 reacting. And that is not being conscious. When we react, we're reacting from an old place an old injury, an old learned pattern, an old learned coping skill. And then the situation in front of us, say your child, since you asked me about parenting, is quote unquote triggering that. Mm -hmm. So you react from that old place. Like I used to do when I got angry because my child was having a tantrum. I wasn't acting from the place of my adult self. I wasn't conscious at all. I was acting from an old injured part of myself. So when you Step into that conscious relationship with yourself, meaning being aware, being in tune, knowing what is going on within you in this moment. Then a few things are happening. Number one, you're honoring yourself first. We pause, we take a moment, we take a breath and we go, okay, what's happening within me? Let me take a second to take care of me. Or maybe we need five or 10 minutes to take care of me and honor that honor yourself, then we have the wherewithal to come back to our child and say, okay, what's going on with you in this moment? Because something is going on with my child, which really has nothing to do with me. It's just awakening something old within me that also is letting me know I need attention. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And this is a good time to talk about what you call the ego and the false self. So talk to me about the inner child, the false self, the ego, the separation uh, from source, and also feelings and emotions, I guess they are included. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like <laughs> it is a lot. three right? different <laughs> chapters in one question. <laughs> True. <laughs> But that's okay. Um, so I will do my best to answer all of that in a way that makes sense for the listeners. So When we're talking about ego today, I am not talking about the ego of Freud. I am talking about the ego from Eastern philosophy. And the ego in Eastern philosophy is about the false self. And the false self develops when we're very young, under age seven. And it can develop as young as age two or begin to develop as young as age two. But what happens is when we come in to this world, this is what I believe. Um, when we come into this world from however we've arrived, I believe we come through our parents that our souls make a choice to come through the particular parents we came through. We come in as whole and complete and perfect with our light, our gifts, ready to shine, ready to bring that forward into the family of origin. But what happens for most of us is we wind up in families of origin with very unconscious parents, yeah. parents themselves who are in pain, parents themselves who need to heal. And so 
things happen in our lives, whether we're growing up with parents that yell, with, with parents that are emotionally distant, with parents who maybe have some sort of addiction, um, with parents who maybe aren't even physically there and someone else is raising you. So in order to survive those experiences of childhood, we dim our light, we dim our gifts, and we develop this false self to protect the inner child, to protect the true self. So we wind up with this wounded inner child that has all of these coping skills of survival in order to live in that family, maybe to be accepted, maybe to be heard. Maybe the only way to survive is to pretend to be invisible, but really you're someone that wants to shine, but you can't. So the false self develops really to protect us. But the ego tells us everything we are not because it believes all of these ideas that we needed to have to survive. Like you are not enough. You are not lovable. You are not worthy. You are not pretty. You are not good. Uh, Boys don't cry. Girls should be seen and not heard. Whatever those stories are. And so the inner child gets wounded and the ego is the one in charge. So that's ego and the false self and the inner child. And all of that is what needs healing because it's in pain and we hold it in our body and it's, it's really in pain. And so you asked me about separation from source. So I'll touch on that. Also, one of the other things I believe is that because I do believe we come from source energy as perfect, we land in these bodies of ours and children who we see tantrum, I believe are really tantruming because they're in pain. Children start having temper tantrums right around the age of two-ish. And that's right around the age of object permanence. When children realize, wow, if it's in front of me and now it's gone, I remember it was there. So if all of a sudden at around two, young children or toddlers are remembering, I came from somewhere, but I know I'm stuck here and I can't go back. I believe they're really in a lot of emotional pain. And that's what some of the tantruming is about, is they're feeling that pain of separation. And really, I believe those children just need an abundance of love and compassion in those moments and not seen as their behaviors, but seen that they're as they're in pain, real deep emotional pain. What a a great way of understanding that. Um, It makes sense to me, that perspective of knowing that those reactions, they are connected to pain. Um, so do you see any difference between feelings and emotions? Oh, they are all the same. No, they're not the same. That's a great question. And I think so many people don't understand that feelings and emotions are two different things. So a feeling is something we experience in our physical body and an emotion is a label we give the feeling. So if we feel the feeling of butterflies in our stomach. And I'll use that example because many people have had that experience of butterflies in their stomach, whether they're excited about something that's about to happen or scared about something or anticipating something. Even if you're going to go on a roller coaster, you might have that feeling of butterflies in your stomach. But that's all it is. It's just a feeling. Maybe it's a fluttering 
or a really quick kind of experience that you're experiencing in your stomach, but it's just a feeling. It becomes an emotion when we give it a label. I can feel that fluttering in my stomach and say, oh no, there's that fluttering. I am really nervous now. I am so anxious. Every time I feel that in my stomach, I am anxious. I am so anxious. I'm a nervous wreck and I just can't function anymore. So the emotion is the label we put on the physical experience of feeling something. Feelings are neutral. Emotions have charge and we get stuck in the emotions. No one walks around saying, oh, how are you feeling today? Oh, I feel a feeling of fluttering in my stomach. No one says that. <laughs> True. Right? They say, I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm happy, you know? <laughs> True. So we've, we've, as a society, we've understood these two things. And if you look them up in the dictionary, they actually have two separate meanings, which is why I spend time talking about them in the book, because we get lost in the story attached to the emotion. Right. There's right. no story attached to the feeling. If people start slowing down and paying attention, it's the emotion we get stuck on, not the feeling. Feelings pass through us 60 to 90 seconds, they're gone. If you can just breathe through them, we get stuck in the story. But you can go from feeling to emotion in the snap of a finger. How interesting, Janet. Mm. So in a way, the only thing that are real is just feelings and we interpret them and we trap uh, them as emotions, which means uh, has to do with thought patterns. They become thought patterns and then obsessions in a way. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. That is interesting. So what do you suggest in the case, in this case, like how can we understand when we are going through feelings that are challenging to feel, how do we embrace them? How can we be more open and embrace these feelings without any attachment to the labels of emotions. Yeah, we have to feel them. I mean, and it seems cliche to say it like that, but literally you have to feel them. So if you are coming into an experience where all of a sudden you have a feeling of maybe a tightness in your throat for some reason, say, and I invite people to pause. I call it a purposeful pause to stop and just pay attention. Okay. And talk, do a lot of self-talk. Okay. Right now I feel a feeling of tightness in my throat. That's okay. I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to just breathe. I'm going to take three or four breaths and I'm going to let the breath take care of that feeling. And that feeling is just going to pass through me. You might have to take a couple of loud breaths, a couple of long breaths, but you're just going to breathe. And if you can stop and just breathe with and through the feeling for 60 to 90 seconds, even if that means you have to set a timer on your watch or your phone, in 60 to 90 seconds, you are going to see that that feeling will actually pass. And I'm not saying you won't be upset. Maybe you really needed to cry. So the feeling that came up in your throat was you trying to hold back tears. Or maybe you just needed to scream out loud to get it out of your body. But if you do not go into fear, say, oh, my God, this feeling in my throat, I'm petrified. Oh, my God, every time I'm scared, then, and that's how the story starts. But if you just stay with the feeling, just breathe through it. Sometimes I tell my clients, imagine breathing into it. So like you're sending your breath 
directly to that part of your body that's feeling the discomfort in that moment. And I invite people to experiment with that. Seriously, look at a clock. Give yourself 60 to 90 seconds and you will see that that feeling actually passes. Then you can move on with whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to cry. Maybe you need to sit quiet for a little while. Maybe you need to journal or meditate. But it'll give you a chance to just feel the feeling without then attaching a story to it, which is only going to create anxiety. Right. Yeah, you mentioned in the book the uh, four emotional blocks, and fear is one of them. Fear is one of them. Yes, it is. Do you want to talk about the other three? Uh, Self-judgment, unworthiness, and attachment to anger. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I Actually, there's for anyone who ever gets the book, there is actually a little chart that shows all of those things. And those, those four blocks, the fear, the judgment, the attachment to anger and the unworthiness all will keep us from healing. They will all keep us from feeling. So if you're afraid, first we have to look at what are you afraid of? If it's fear, are you afraid of your feelings? Are you afraid, which we were just talking about, are you afraid of pain, either emotional or maybe physical? Are you afraid of the loss of yourself as you know it, right? Because as we heal and get better, that means we will change. And even though that means we are going to change in a good way, we're not going to be who we once were. So you have to get to know yourself in a different way. And sometimes people don't want to do that. So are we afraid of that change or are we afraid of the healing? And then the self-judgment piece, that comes from that harsh critic we were actually talking about at the beginning, um, that, that critical part of you that's sort of like a judge in your head, always wagging a feeling, feeling, excuse me, a finger at you, you know, saying, what are you doing? No, don't do that. You're wrong. You're bad. So uh, is the self-judgment holding you back or is unworthiness holding you back? Do you hold on to a lot of blame, shame, and guilt? And those, those are three of the most powerful, powerful emotions. Those will definitely put up a roadblock in holding you back. And then sometimes fear gets stuck and attached to unworthiness because you don't want to even touch those big three feelings of of blame, shame, and guilt. And then maybe we're attached to our anger because anger keeps us safe. Because if I keep my anger on the surface, I don't got to go down below to all of those other blocks and feelings that I was just talking about. Wow. That's interesting the way you use the word attachment to anger, because mm-hmm. I talked to somebody before and he wrote a book about anger and he, that was his own experience and he's a psychologist. And then he, he mentioned that he found out that anger or his anger was actually addiction. He was addicted to anger. And it might be, we didn't discuss that, but it might be for the reason you just spoke. Um, they're afraid to look deeper into why the anger exists and why they have this uh, obsession with this emotion. So that's very interesting. I find it fascinating that in what you said today also like um, really uh, made me think now a lot more about emotions. So emotions are just connected to thinking and that's why they call trapped emotions. 
because they're just uh, somehow trapped in the body. It has to do with the thinking process first, and then they get trapped in the body because we're afraid to feel or afraid of feelings. <laughs> yeah. So true. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about this spiral of healing framework and its components. Uh, feel, heal, love, and grow. Yeah, those are the four components of the spiral of healing. So the spiral of healing, if your listeners can imagine like a, um, a cone, almost like a tornado, that's always sort of moving. And as we heal, I believe, we go up and up and up. And each time we go up a level on this spiral, we heal. And we're going through simultaneously feel, heal, grow, love. These aren't like four steps. First, you have to heal, then you have to feel. It doesn't work that way. It's all sort of happening simultaneously. So when you go through healing a certain aspect of yourself, a certain experience of yourself, you're doing this feel, heal, grow, love as part of that healing experience. And that brings you up a level on this spiral of healing. So if we then have to go back and look at a similar experience or maybe that same experience but a different aspect of it another time, we're not, it's not as charged. We have more clarity. We can look at it at, with a different aspect of ourselves or if we have to look at a different part of our life that needs healing that we haven't even touched yet, but we've healed other parts, we're in a better place emotionally to look at those painful places more easily. So even if something is still upsetting, it's not as harsh of a trigger because we've gone through layers of healing and we've gone up the spiral, understanding what the feelings were, understanding um, what we needed to do about that to heal, understanding how we are going to grow from this and even seeing the growth from it and then being able to come back to that self-love like we can just love ourselves mm. as ourselves, as we are. Right. I love the way you talk about trust, too. You say that we need to trust that everything we need in order to heal, feel better, and to grow, it's already inside of us. Mm-hmm. So it's now cultivating this trust. That's very important. It might be connected to finding our purpose and... Um, being our true self, as you say. Yeah. And and I guess my question about purpose and the, the true self is how do we find our purpose, one, and how do we know when we have found it? Wow, that's a loaded question. But <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> because I think it is quite individual for each person. But I think that life is such a journey. And I do believe that everything, again, my belief... Some people may not agree with me or what I'm about to say might be very triggering for people. But I do believe that every experience we have in our life is there for us, even the yuckiest ones, even the traumatic ones. And I've had more than my fair share of trauma. And would I rather not have had those experiences? Of course. Would I love to take an eraser and erase them from my memory? Of course. But neither one of those two things was possible. So my life experiences were my life experiences. So I can either heal from them and grow from them, heal from them and grow because of them or choose not to and become not very functional in my life. So 
I am in gratitude to all of my experiences, the bad and the good, because I know if it had not been for the bad, especially the bad, I absolutely would not be sitting here having a conversation with you about this. I never would have been able to write this book because I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have been given the opportunity to really dig deep. Mm-hmm. And granted, I took the opportunity to dig deep. I took the opportunity to heal. So it's a choice that each of us need to make. How much are we going to dive in? How much are we going to allow ourselves to look at our darkest parts, as you were quoting me earlier, to look at the, the most painful pieces in order for us to become as close to our true selves as we can be? I don't know if I answered your question or not. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you connected purpose in, in uncovering or discovering the true self uh, through the process of healing. There's a part of in your book that I have here that's so powerful. And I mean, Beth says it all. You said healing is a process of shifting through the layers of pain bodies, pain bodies within us and addressing the hurt Mm -hmm. with the intention to help the hurt transform. That's right. That is so true. So true. Thank you so much for what you do, Janet. It's um, it's what we need, all of us. And, um, and that's true, what you said earlier, too. And in your book, over and over, um, healing is a process, right? It's, uh, unconditional self-love is a practice. And that's part, very much part of healing. Um, would you like to add anything or read a passage uh, from your book before I ask you my final questions? Oh, wow. I think I just, I don't, I I really just want to let your listeners know that healing really is possible. It really, really is. And not to be afraid, find a good therapist, healer to work with, but give yourself the chance. And though I know that the work to go through is hard, what I also know is that when you get to the other side, you're going to be so much more free. And I think everyone deserves that freedom. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) So my final questions. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? That's a good question. You ask great questions. The hardest lesson to learn about myself was how much I was really attached to control and how that affected my ability or inability at times to be patient. It's still it's still something I'm in process of working on. That's an everyday practice. <laughs> uh, I have a question that relates to death. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I don't think so. That's a wonderful answer. <laughs> Uh, Do you believe in life after death? And if you do, what kind of life? I do believe in life after death. I believe that when we die, we do transition to light. We do transition back to the light of our soul and that we choose to come back again if we still have work to do. And it's a... It's a continual co-creation of healing. I think each time we come back, we're healing at new levels and new layers. 
What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Oh my goodness, these questions. Three things about life that I know for sure as of today. <laughs> that I'm breathing. <laughs> this much I know for sure. And honestly, that's a big one because I think we forget that. True. Yeah. Like we forget, like, wow, no matter what else right now in this moment, I am breathing. And sometimes that's all you need to know. What else that I know for sure? That we can heal, that we absolutely can heal, that healing is possible. And there are lots of ways to heal, lots of ways. And opportunities are always going to present themselves to us. We may not like the package the opportunities show up in, but that we should always give those opportunities a chance, give ourselves a chance to explore them. Because if we shut the door to an opportunity that shows up to us, we don't know what else could come from that had we walked through the door. Yes, I like that. So um, in a way, in the end, we are able to say that we don't regret anything. We can say that with confidence, right, Janet? Yes, yes, I hope so. It has been a healing conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for your presence and wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's been so much fun talking to you. And I love all your really deep, thoughtful questions. It's really great. And I love your wisdom, <laughs> um, your healing wisdom. So my final, final question, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, thanks for asking that. My website is really the best place to go. And that is hypnosisforhope.com. And everyone can find out how to contact me there. And the link to the book is there. However, you can get it on Amazon as a paperback or an ebook. And that's really the best place to find me. People can also find me on Twitter, a little bit on Twitter, but Instagram I use more and um, on Facebook at Hypnosis for Hope. But all those links are all on my website as well. So the website's probably the best place to go. Great. Thank you so much again, Janet, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Janet Philbin, please visit her website, hypnosisforhope.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.